You're a man that controls his own destiny. A man that is always in the pursuit of being better. You are in the right place. You are responsible. You are strong. You are a leader. You are a force for good. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Alpha Quorum Show, where we help men become better men. I've got Brad Singletary on my left at the controls. What's up, you guys? And we've got Mike Spurgeon on the right. Howdy, fellas. And we are so happy that you're willing to spend some of your time listening to us and our advice on how we have had other men come to us and ask us different questions. Hey, we've heard some of your podcasts. We really liked what you talk about. What about this situation? And they'll kind of maybe tell us their own little episode. And so I thought we might discuss some of those things here. And so one of the common things that has been asked, as well as we kind of ask ourselves a lot, is how do you appropriately set boundaries? What is a boundary? So tonight's discussion is going to be about boundaries. And maybe we can start off, first of all, Brad, give me your definition of boundary. One that I like to use a lot with people, someone shared with me, and they were talking about how if someone comes to your home and knocks on your door, you may or may not let them in, depending on the situation, who the person is. Some people, you let in the front door, and they don't go much further than your front door. Other people come into your home and they come into your kitchen and they're just going to stand around in your kitchen. Maybe they're talking for a few minutes. They're going to drop something off. Other people you invite into your living room and they sit down or they've gone into your bathroom. Some people even go into your bedroom. And those are different layers or levels of boundaries. And I just think that's a good visual for the fact that some people come all the way in and some people, you know, we we don't even acknowledge them at the door. So that's, to me, someone explained that to me as an example of just a visual representation of boundaries. And to me, the definition of that is really where one person begins and another one ends. What are the limits? What kind of fences are what between are us? Or, okay. Yeah, what, how do we interact? What are the rules between our, our knowing each other? Okay, Mike, what's, what's your opinion of a definition of a boundary. Yeah, so what I just heard Brad say is like limits and access. It's sort of like, what kind of keys am I going to give you? Like I go to the valet, am I going to give you the valet key? Which allows, now there's some cars, you've got some cars now where the valet key um, allows a reduced, like the car will only go to a certain speed. And so you have a high, high power car and it'll only allow the car to run at like a certain amount of power so that the valet theoretically can't steal your car or at least go run around the parking lot at like 100 tires. miles an hour and peel, peel tires and so on. So keys, access keys, how much authority I want to let somebody have in my life, how much room they're going to occupy in my mind, what kind of like allowance I'll give them to have input into who I am and what kind of life I live. Um, and then it goes, you know, both ways. Um, uh, the boundaries somebody could set against me. They could define how much authority I, they're going to let me have in their life, how much maybe control or input. And so boundaries is this way of establishing, like, who are you to me? Who am I to you? And then how much are we going to influence each other? And then how much are you going to stick in my head? A little bit or a lot? Okay. And so when we're in a marriage relationship, boundaries um, are, like, we have really, really deep 
boundaries, and that is to say this person has a whole bunch of influence and input into my life. But that that homie at work that I sit next to, like he has almost insignificant, almost none, right? He has almost no influence in my life. So the boundaries with him are going to be quite a bit different than they are with my kids or my spouse or a parent. And these are, these are levels that are um, super important to understand. Like levels of closeness maybe? Sure, your- sure, yeah. Okay. I love what you said about access, the level of access. What do you have access to of mine? And you also mentioned to an impressive thing, there was uh, space in my head, space in my life. What are you occupying in my world? Yeah. How much am I going to let you into my head? So for me, the definition of a boundary is similar to what you, you have mentioned. It's a level of access or a level of connection. And my expectation of what I'm going to accept and what I'm going to also allow them to expect from me. So it's what I can accept from someone interacting with me and my expectation of what they want from me. That's a, a, a boundary. Wow, I like that. Those so, two words. That's what, my definition. What you'll accept and what, you, what they can expect, expect from you. yes. Accept and expect. So, Brad, give me an example of what it looks like when a husband and a wife don't have a clearly defined boundary. Usually, there's frustration and anger. There's, it leads to conflict. I'm trying to think of a good example of that. Um, often, it has to do with kind of what are the rules? What are the boundaries about money? You know, if I, if I spend $20 on whatever I've blown at the store, some, some impulse buy, does that matter? Or do we need to agree to those things at the $100 level? Or, or, or what, what, is, what is the expectation? That was a good right. word you used before. All the way down to things like, I don't know, affairs, social media. That's a common one that it's not extreme. But so many people get in these arguments about who is this girl why is she on your social media? Why did you like her stuff? Right. And they're, 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 they just haven't agreed on what, what the rule is. What's, what's our rule of thumb on this? Where, do, where does safety and security lie with other people? And that usually, I'm, I'm thinking that that's in a spousal relationship. And I've been married more than I would like to say that I've been married. But I've been through this more than one time. So I understand if it's not, if, if your wife isn't secure with with how you interact with other women, that should be discussed. Because if you don't discuss it and don't establish that boundary, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Early on in my marriage, it, just using this example, um, there was a little bit of insecurity on both my part and the part of my wife based on how we had been treated in the past. Anyway, we had this discussion about, okay, who do we have on our social media? People of the opposite sex. And the rule that we came up with was, hey, if this wasn't your cousin or a very good friend um, that, you know, there's, if this is someone you dated in the past, you, you don't have any business dealing with that. If this is some cute girl at the gym or some guy who's just, you know, has made inappropriate comments to you at work, maybe those are not people. So the, the, we get into problems when we just don't, we're not on the same page about what is the boundary. Because they're the real, the real thing is, are you or your wife secure in the relationship with those interactions? So that, that makes sense. Another thing I want to bring up is boundaries and maturity. So um, I won't spend a lot of time talking about it now, but if you are immature, then you, you blow past other people's boundaries and you don't really give an F about like what happens. 
you know. So to, to Brad's point, that's really important thing you said. Mike, what kind of problems do you see at work if there's an undefined or unspecified or lack of a clear boundary? Oh, that's a good question because I think, you know, in a workplace situation, you've got you've got superiors and subordinates. And so depending on where you are in that hierarchy, you, there's going to be assumptions and understandings that may or may not be clearly defined. And then there's a task that needs to happen. Everybody has some brief conversation about it. And it's a classic scenario. Everyone's had a job where like the boss expected X and you deliver Y and then he's pissed and he flames out. And, and how many people get fired because the boss, you know, had a whole vision of what he wanted in his right. head. He right. wanted it to look X. Well, you misunderstood and it could be a good faith misunderstanding. Like you really wanted to deliver and, and you just missed the mark, but he didn't tell you where the bullseye was. And so you shot somewhere else and it was like good faith misunderstandings all the way around, but then hurt feelings and then disappointments. And then, you know, there's, there's a consequence to that good and bad. Well, mostly bad probably. So having a super clear understanding of what's expected. And here's something that I learned in my work life, and that is to write stuff down and to have bullet points. And so like, for example, if, if I had a guy who needed to go out on a job and perform XYZ for a customer, so maybe I interface, the client told me what his expectations were. Okay. I should have and should be writing that down so that the client totally gets that I get it. Right, and maybe show him the piece of paper. Is this what we've talked about? Is this what we've agreed on? He looks at it, makes a few comments and notes, and then, got it. Okay, so we agree. Then I sit down with the guy who's going to do that job. Here is what the customer is expecting us to deliver. Do you understand what he's asking here? Yes. What parts? What What do we need to make that happen for him? How do we do that? How do we storyboard this? Like, how do we scope this out? And how long is it going to take? What parts do we need? And then. It's my responsibility if I'm the project manager to make sure that happened, that make sure that my guy can do it and to make sure that the customer is going to see it and it's going to be exactly what he expected. Okay. So in a workplace, I think you need to be like really pragmatic, really black and white. And I don't think you can live your life outside of work like this, maybe. I don't think you can go home with your wife. I don't think you can take these same skills home and your kid wants to go out to a party and you sit down with a piece of paper and you're like, okay, who's going to be there? How late are you going to be there? Whose car? You know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I, I'm saying that maybe some of these boundaries that you do at work have a work application that they don't transfer over into home or okay. other relationships because I think that can get you into problems if you're so, some people are super skilled at work, super analytical, super mathematical, and it serves them really well. When you were saying that the, I don't know that this has an application at home, I think it does have an application at home because each one of your children are different. And so you kind of, even though the rules might be the same for everyone, how you approach delivering those, there's going to be certain boundaries. I can have some people that will come to me and be able to rattle things off. And I know that's just how they deliver the message. Other people want to go into a grand story. I've got to be able to approach this new task that I have with these employees. The first thing I have to do is get to know each one of them, how they operate. Figure their style out. Exactly. And so I think figuring a, a style out is part of that learning process. Part of maturing. Yeah. So you might have, I think that's the other thing is not just uh, 
understanding how, how people interact and what that boundary is, especially in a workplace. But it's kind of, okay, if my style is more pragmatic, you mentioned, if my style is more dot, 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 bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, get it off and we're done. With some people that might work really well. With other people that might, that boundary of, well, you don't care enough about me because you didn't spend time explaining it to me, could get crossed. So earlier the question was what kind of problems are created with undefined boundaries or lack of boundaries? And something we were talking about in the pre-show, Mike Olson said there's no such thing as a lack of boundaries, only undiscussed boundaries. And what I picked from uh, Taco Mike here about the workplace is you just have to over-communicate. You just have to be very clear. And I, and I, I hate to say that I spend this much time in, in fast food drive throughs but if you notice the good, <laughs> the good places, they repeat your order like three times. They repeat it back on the machine. They repeat it back when you go to the first window to pay, and they repeat it back the third time. And it's repeated back when they visually. Hand it, when they a, hand it to yeah. you. Yeah, and then there's the receipt. You've got the, they're telling you five times they want to make sure they have your order right. So it's about communication, really. So, but, but what problems are created... Resentment, disappointment, frustration, sketchy behaviors, excuses, those are typically the result of just failing to communicate what the boundaries are. Okay. Can you give me an example, Mike, of a, of a boundary that got crossed at work? A workplace has all kinds of boundaries with like, how do you handle tools? What about the vehicles? What time do you show up? What time do you go home? How much effort is expected of you to put into a thing? You know, those, those types of boundaries are expectations. And in a workplace, they can be fairly rigid. Like, you're not really going to negotiate at work. Uh, so, like, receipts or a vehicle. Like, a vehicle is to be used for company purposes only. Don't joyride it. Whatever. That's those not... Those hard and fast. Yeah. So, work has got all kinds of boundaries and rules and systems and regulations that are really not negotiable. And your job depends on it. Okay. So, me... I think the workplace is a unique set of, it's a unique scope that works really well there. And I, I, I seem to go back to this a lot. Maybe just the concept is some of us are so skilled at that. We're so good at operating in that sort of environment. It's very comforting. You know, one of the things that happens in the human condition is like safety and security. To know exactly what's expected of me and what yeah. I expect of you means that I don't get in trouble. So this concept of like being in trouble is something that's really hard for people, men, to deal with, right? right I've right. disappointed you. I've stepped over some line and now you're mad at me. And and I it, that is super hard for in me anyway to sort of grapple with. So in work, if I'm the kind of person who, uh, and <laughs> it's funny, personally, I'm not really this way, but some of us thrive in the work environment because it's very black and white. It's very analytical. I can just really turn off my thinking brain, not to say that you don't think, but I can turn off, certainly turn off maybe my emotional brain right. because all I got to do is perform. These are the things I have to do. This is the spreadsheet. These are the check marks. This is, these are the boxes. I have to color in these lines. They don't have to do with emotion. I don't have to do with emotion. And so for a lot of us in a lot of jobs, the, the, the work, our work life is where we're, we find a lot of satisfaction and a lot of comfort because it's so defined, it's so analytical, and that way it's so black and white. And we don't take risks. 
work for many of us is the least risky place in our whole life because, and some of us have jobs where it's, um, so it's so repetitive. It's the same thing every day. Right. And I'm really good at it. I slot right into that and I don't have to be creative. I don't have to use any imagination. And that's not to say that this is, there's no value. That's either good nor bad. It just, there are plenty of us who are in those kinds of professional environments. And for, for those of us who are like that, then we come home and it's a shit show. It is the worst. <laughs> and why? Because now we come home to a situation that is fluid and dynamic and it requires creative adaptability and there's emotions involved and there's so many non-binary variables that absolutely turn us upside down and we hate going home. And I'm, t- I'm talking to those of us who overwork and spend all of our time at work and then we hate going home, we stay late, we do anything we can. I, I, we all know these guys and we've probably been this guy. We get praise at work because we're so good at it, right? We get promotions. We get um, all kinds of accolades and attaboys because we click in to that environment, to that scenario, and we're very skilled at it and we're recognized for that. But we come home and we're punished. We're punished because we don't, we don't interpret our teenage daughter who is crying because of some situation that happened at school. And we're like, freaking get over that. Like, why is this a thing? Why right. are we talking about it? We don't know how to handle... All the the thousands of moving pieces that come with home life. Why can't home life, like why, we just, dude, so many of us don't want to be home. We don't like being at home. We can't go home. And then when we're there, we don't know how to function in that. And we miss work. We want life at in every other way to be like work and it's not and it won't be and it can't be and then our wives are disappointed in us our kids are disappointed in us like our our home life our non-work life is a complete disaster it's a shambles and it's because we have we have invested too much we have swung the pendulum too far into systems and structures of boundaries that are that's so unhealthy right okay. not at work it's it's completely healthy there but it's unhealthy to carry that home. So one of the problems then I'm, I'm hearing is that if the boundary isn't set or if the boundary isn't understood, you assume it's what you're comfortable with. And when you go home and, you, and that particular skill doesn't, isn't needed in the home for, to meet an emotional need, now you're basically, well, you, let's use the teenage daughter example that you have. You, you're, you're coming home kind of expecting and continuing to operate in that mode when it requires, oh, hey, how do you feel? How are you, honey? Stopping and almost putting on a completely new hat. And that's difficult for some men. I know that is for me. If one of the problems that I would have is that I might be doing the problem solving that you're talking about. And if I come home and I'm in a problem solving mode and my wife approaches me, surprises me, or basically doesn't almost snap me out of my trance, I can be, unfortunately, extremely irritable to almost angered. Kind of like, have you ever tried to pull a bone away from a dog? Sure, yeah. Or even that analogy. I know that's kind of how I am sometimes. If I'm not aware enough and can change my set of circumstances, and sometimes as a leader at work, that can happen as well. If I have... You know, I, I speak Spanish fluently, and I might have uh, Lourdes coming to me, telling me one of these things that she has a problem with, and if I don't know how to interpret that properly, if I don't give this employee the proper time to express themselves in a work thing, or if I don't say, you know, that's kind of 
something that we need to discuss later if you have a problem with work. So being able to understand what that need from that person looks like, that's a, that can be a problem because now we're, we can either inappropriately cross a boundary that we shouldn't be talking about a topic at work or we don't pay enough attention to that social need of that employee or somebody or maybe it's a coworker who just needs to listen. You probably see this constantly every day, I'm assuming, Brad, in your practice. If there is an undefined boundary, what kind of problems would you see from people in your practice? Just conflict. Just the disagreement about what was supposed to happen. It's really a matter of unmatching expectations. That's what, that's what bad boundaries really look like, is that we don't agree on what, was, what is supposed to be going on. And then that leads to just tension and conflict, anger, frustration, excuse making. Okay. So discussing boundaries, obviously, and, and defining boundaries is important. Um, let's, we're going to get to that in just a moment, but I, I want to ask about maybe sometimes rigid boundaries. I know sometimes people, when they feel like a boundary is too rigid, it can, that can be a, a negative impact. Have you ever... Yeah, of course. I mean, maybe maybe we're all there's this continuum of of openness or access to use Mike's word and when in the in the uh, the visual kind of metaphor that I use about how far someone gets into your home. If your boundaries are overly rigid, you never answer the door. There's never anyone that you don't interact. There's no interaction. There's not enough. We're shutting people off, shutting people down. Everything's a no. You don't participate. Maybe you feel a little bit isolated um, or you're isolating yourself and um, no one ever gets, there's, there's just too little flexibility uh, in the access. There's a lot of control issues. Anger and resentment is another thing that shows up there when the, when the boundaries are just too tight. Okay, Mike, tell me your definition of overly rigid boundaries in your experience. Yeah, so an overly rigid boundary would be somebody who's probably super self-protective and they've created a whole system of like guardrails around themselves to protect themselves from all kinds of things that are real. So a boundary, here's here's the like good and bad of a boundary. A boundary can help you have safety and security in a, in a moderate and, and, and in a minute we'll talk about what a healthy boundary looks like. So right now we're doing the two extremes. We just did like what happens if you have no boundaries uh, or undiscussed or undisclosed boundaries. Now we're kind of talking about what happens if they're at the other end of the extreme where like they're stifling and they're, they're ridiculous boundaries. But a boundary is just a set of guardrails, right, on a road. And I want to I want to get from point A to point B in my life, and I'm going to put up some guardrails to get me safe. And so a rigid boundary is somebody who's really fearful, is overly protective of themselves, has probably been really wounded, has been really hurt. And so it's not it's not unreasonable for them to overprotect themselves. But there's all kinds of things that can happen. They can there's there's unintended consequences that happen when somebody sets o- o- overly defined or overly rigid boundaries. They become isolated. They push people away, right? They, they've been hurt, and so and it makes sense. They've been hurt, and so they don't want anybody to come in. Uh, to Brad's example, they don't want to open the door to anybody, and that makes sense. Like that's very reasonable. But that person then isolates themselves. Um, they're they're walled off. 
they can also become a martyr. And so like they throw up all these ridiculous boundaries that they know people are going to violate and then they can become a victim every time it happens. They can demand attention. I can become overly emotional. And so like I'll set up this really crazy boundary that everybody's going to cross and then I'll just fall to pieces every time they do. And so now I demand your your attention and I'm just be, I'm needy and hungry for for that. And so I become the center of the attention, the drama. You know, I just set up all these like drama cycles that can happen for somebody who sets up like really high barriers, high walls, um, resentments. So you're, I, I, I'll set I up all these. a huge lack of tolerance in, in a huge lack of tolerance is kind of something that comes from that as well. I think so. Yeah, that's good. Good to point out. Resentments. So every time you break a, brown, break a boundary, then I hate you to one more degree. And so I always have something up on you. Right. I always have the advantage. Somebody who has really high boundaries always is sitting in a place of superiority. Like, judgment, yeah. Judgment. Yeah. I'm always looking down on the people that are always screwing up. You're never getting it right. You never do this right. You never, you always hurt my feelings. You always X, Y, Z. And that's not to discount. So as I say that, it sounds like I'm really knocking this. I want to be careful. I, I have a lot of sympathy for people that have really rigid and really highly defined boundaries. However, there's so many consequences. There's a lot of consequences to this, and so it may be to having a rigid boundary, right? Okay. Yeah. So these are things that really need to be carefully looked at. Perfectionism might be one of the things that happens there. Somebody wants everybody to perform really high at a high level, so I don't feel pressured or offended. Um, you have to perform to my standards, so really high standards. Um, you might also have a boring life if you have really, if you have yeah, overly defined boundaries, like. Dude, nobody wants to hang out with you. Because, loosen up, right? Yeah, loosen up. Like the person who like that, nobody kind of wants to hang out with them. Right, right. And so they may not have much much of a social life. So, you know, um, all of us have people in our circles like this and we don't spend much time with them because it's really difficult. It's really hard to be friends with somebody like this. Right. Um, you know, they're stifling your their own creativity and others. And it's like, you can't color outside the lines. You have to perform at this really high level to this person. And they don't really, they don't really accept or feel comfortable with, you know, the messiness of life and the mistakes of life, the creativity of life, the spontaneity. Um, they just aren't into that typically. And so they may not be a fun person. They may not be then... Um, willing to go along on an undefined outing. So like, hey, let's go out tonight. Well, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Who's going to drive? What time are we going to go? Like, where? I don't like that restaurant. I don't, you know, just so many conditions, so many rules. That person, if they could just, you know, it's almost like, I hate to say this, but like, dude, have a glass of wine. <laughs> whatever chill it takes out. to chill out. out. Take a puff. Take a puff. Like, whatever you need to do, man. Just like, you know, chill out and let's go have a good time. This person tends to not be that person. I, for me, it still seems to come back to expectations. Boundaries and expectations are so intertwined. When you have a, when you have a really rigid boundary, you can never meet someone's expectation. Or they can never meet yours. Or right. they can never meet yours. That's exactly right. And so I, I think that they're intertwined. And so I think this social interaction, it just, it takes time. It takes a tremendous amount of empathy because if you have empathy, you're truly trying to get to understand what that person is like, what their boundaries are, how important that is, and then deciding if you want to interact with that or to what level you want to interact with that. I know we have probably people at work or 
you know, maybe it's even for a period of time, teenagers. I've learned after raising five sons, and my youngest now is 14, I've just learned that my expectation on their behavior has to change from, for my particular boys from about 13 to 15. I have to completely change my expectation. Now, this doesn't mean that they get to go overboard, but the fact that they are not going to say a word to anybody, that they're going to go from this loving little person to this extremely rude person, there's a chemical change. At first, I didn't understand that at all. I'm like, what, you little turd? You're going to behave this way? You're so disrespectful. I'm, I guarantee I was a similar thing. But since I've watched it, I've watched boys go through that chemical change, and they're just different in that particular time period. So that's kind of been my experience is I've had to change my level of expectation. And then sometimes with a spouse or whatever, it does take a lot of communicating to say, hey, what can I, obviously in more eloquent words than this, but what can I expect from you? What do you expect from me? And here's the kicker, especially in a a marital relationship, will she agree on her own to my expectation or to what level? Am I going to agree to her level of expectation. Because my wife might say to me, well, this is what I want. I'm like, hey, no, no way I'm doing that. But then I might have some things. If I'm empathetic, I might have to do that give and take where I say, hmm, okay, this has taken me a long time and a couple of wives to grasp to get this, that. to get this. Yeah. No, to understand it. I didn't say to perfect it. That's for darn sure. So to say, hmm, okay, so what you're asking is this, to slow the conversation down on these boundaries and where they are. Once, I think too many times people just, they go into things having these assumed boundaries, it's but not discussed. It's all assumption. It's assumption. You're right. right. And that's where you Assuming. get into problems. Yes. So I'm going to go back to you, Mike. I'm going to switch it up a little bit. What does a healthy boundary look like to you in your marital relationship? I'm the least person who should talk to this because I think I do a terrible job, terrible job at, at, <laughs> at sort of negotiating this. I think... Okay, so if we're going to read the textbook, I think I think healthy boundary in a marriage looks like a pre-negotiated set of um, I'm going to I'm going to use a different word than boundary. I think when a marriage is healthy, both parties have an understanding of their personal. These are like rules and codes of conduct, right? And so a boundary. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, so a boundary is just you're saying like, look, these are the things that that I hope and want and need from you in this marital contract. What can I expect to happen? What could I expect not to happen? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the word boundary is a catch-all for that, which, and it's fine. Um, But the concept is much, much bigger than just the single word. And I think you just specified with your boys how it should work in marriage. And that is, is if if I look at the arc of my marriage, the boundaries that we've had over time have changed and evolved. And this is constantly, my wife likes to say that marriage is a contract that's constantly being renegotiated because the terms of the agreement are constantly being shifted and changed and adapted based on new, new data, new information, new New information, new needs, new, new things like a marriage and a, a life is a flowing river and you're constantly stepping into the river. Um, at, at different points. Right. The river is the river, but it's never the same. Each each new step you put, each new foot you put into it, it's a different river, different water at that time. Right. So with boundaries, healthy boundaries in a marriage, it, it, it here's what it looks like. 
it looks like whatever the two parties agree for it to look like. That's what it looks like. And Brad said like you can't that. over-communicate. I don't think there's such a thing as like, oh, we've talked, well, maybe you can talk something to death, but I think a healthy boundary is something where both parties bring everything into the dialogue about it, and both of them feel comfortable and accept those terms so that it doesn't set up an unequal, because here's where it's unhealthy, is where one person over-negotiates through emotion or anger. One person angrily negotiates their side. Right. Or they over they negotiate with tears. Or they, they negotiate, they over-emote to, to, to skew it and manipulate it to their side. Right. Okay. And that's something that could easily happen. And um, a healthy boundary is where both sides look very pragmatically. Now, I might have to give up. I might need to be willing to give up. So I might have so here's here's an example of something. I might have a personality trait. Oh, this is a this is a classic one. I might have a personality trait that drives me to hoard. This is actually true. I'm not making this up. <laughs> <laughs> because here's some of the justifications. And these justific here's the thing. These justifications don't matter. They don't matter. Right. It doesn't matter why. So just for the sake of me saying them, I like to hoard because I feel safety in having equipment and tools and 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 things. Resources. Resources. Right. Because I look at it. Now, some people hoard money. I'm not a money hoarder. I don't look at a bank account number and say, ah, oh, safety and security. I'll look at a tool chest right. stocked. And to me, that's safety because the world could blow up, but I've got you know what I mean? Things to go to hell. You've got more than one half-inch wrench. Yeah, I'll fix it. <laughs> um, and I'll have a spare part. So I'm the guy who would have the junkyard, and I would sh and I would have comfort. I get comfort and safety knowing that I have two of everything, and at least one of everything known to man. Like, I'll fix any <laughs> problem of any type. To me, that's safety. But to my spouse, bless her heart, that's not. That's clutter. That's disaster. There's spiders in there. That's you know what I mean. And so we have a disconnect. There is a we have a psychological disconnect when it comes to that. She's triggered by that. She's anxious by that. She doesn't okay. like that. So I could, um, and because we're so vastly different on this, we both probably need to give because. I need to understand, respect, and admire the fact that she is a minimalist, and that none of that works for her. Right. I hope to get from her some admiration and respect, knowing that I can fix anything at a moment's notice and have what's needed. Right. But what I have to do then is I have to modify. I have to be willing to say and make some choices and some compromise and say, I don't need two of everything, especially if it's big, and I don't even probably need one of everything, because the re reality is the likelihood is I'll probably never even need some of if the stuff If you haven't used it in five years. Right. And so I need to make those choices and I need to thin out my hoarding and maybe dial it back. And maybe what I need to do is a deep dive and figure out why do I want to do that? I really liked what you said, though. What is a definition of a healthy boundary? It's whatever the two parties mutually and happily or at least agreeably decide that it is. Yeah, I think it, 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 as long as the, sh the control is shared... That's what I think is most important, that there's some compromise and some give and take on that. Great, great points, you guys. I know in, in my own experience, some of the fruits of a healthy boundary is that I have, according to my wife, she's told me that she feels free to go be with her friends or do what she might want to. There's so many times, I think, from her past experience 
she would come to me and say, well, is that okay that I go and do that? Now, our relationship is, is a little different than most. I would hope that by now, she doesn't necessarily need to ask my permission. Um, I'm 52. I'll be 52 this year. Old man. Yes. <laughs> and she is 47. And so, to feel, I, I'm wondering a lot, what does a man do or what has a woman been through with a man where she feels she has to go and ask permission to go be with a friend. I'm not saying that the man has always done something wrong. But a lot of times, I want my wife to know, you don't have to ask my permission to go be with your friends. In fact, I've wanted her to kind of go and hang out. You wish at, she would do it more. I wish she would do it more. Not because I want her to get out of the house. Like, don't you have somewhere to be? <laughs> right. But at the same time, if I say, I want you to go be with your friends I'm saying that because I think she needs that. And getting back to what Mike said, if we agree to that, and if I ask her, do you need to go be with your friends more? And she says no, then I should respect that as well. And so I think a healthy, what, what some of the things that can come out of that in a healthy way is a person, if they want to explore, if they want to do new things, if they want to go investigate, it can be extremely liberating. And so I want my wife to know you're free to go be who you want to be because at the same time, I want that for myself if I choose to and if I want to go spend some healthy time doing a guy thing or, you know, being with the guys. I don't necessarily, this is probably the, the extent of my dudeness, you know, with other guys. It's just not a huge need that I have. But discussing these items with guys that are similar like we're doing now is something that I, I thoroughly enjoy. And when we get listeners who chime in and say, that really helped me. That's that's extremely satisfying for me personally, I know. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, so you're talking about just the freedom to express and the freedom to have your own adventure and do your own thing. That's a that is a sign of a healthy boundary. Right. That's that's what I feel anyway. Um the so we've kind of talked about some of those good things. I don't know, Mike, what what do you think? Let's let's discuss one more um thing from your experience, what's something that is good that can come from a healthy boundary? I think the number one benefit is you avoid misery. So misery in my life has been the result of um, not understanding boundaries and then like d destroying them for other people and then having them walk on mine. So just a swirl of resentment, just like scorecards of disappointments and resentments and then having those build and then erupt this like cycle, build erupt, build erupt, build erupt. That is absolutely, it, 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 I would say this to someone who is living a, a life of misery or someone who just continually can't get traction in their life or is unhappy. Really, I think to dive into that, if you were to tear that apart, um, I think at the core of that generally is the, um, lack of understanding, lack of maturity, and lack of follow-through on boundaries on both sides. The ones you set and then the ones that you expect expect from okay. other people. I really think that this topic is as important as, as, as is, is important as almost any other topic can be discussed in like the human condition. If you live in a cave, you don't have to worry you about this. So we're not it. talking right. to that guy. If you've somehow decided that you just live on top of a mountain and you're that guy, then God bless you. You're not that guy. But if you live with people, then you are being pummeled with 
negotiating and accepting and living with and under boundaries. And it's excruciating. Okay. It's absolutely excruciating. I can think of no single thing that is harder to do in the human experience than to live under, under and with the terms of boundaries because it absolutely destroys hope. It destroys relationships. This is, this is life or death for all of the ways that, that one life touches another life. And so I honestly don't think there's maybe few things that are more important that we could talk about than understanding boundaries and then making them work for everybody. So just two quick points I think I wanted to, to, to share here with boundaries. And one of them is go and seek some third-party approval where you can for the boundaries. And that might look like bouncing off your expectations to, to a trusted confidential person. And that could be a shrink. It could be your buddy, um, somebody in the alpha quorum. But what that would look like is, you know, you've had some argument or some high level heated discussion with your wife or your partner or whatever. And then you came up with a whole set of like scenarios and then just run that by somebody else and let somebody else listen to that and give you some feedback on whether or not that seems unrealistic. So it's, you're not talking about then the, the unhealthy part of saying, I'm going to go to someone tell them my version of a healthy boundary. If they don't tell me what I want to hear, then I'm going to go to someone else. You're talking about, hey, listen. So it sounds like you, it requires a lot of openness. You have to be willing to hear, no, yeah. your boundary's stupid. Your boundary's crazy. I don't, you don't, that's, that's not reasonable to expect. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, you're not talking about some unhealthy triangulation where you pull somebody into the argument. You're saying, hey, give me some feedback, brother. Let me know if this is, am I being reasonable about this? I, I've even done that very thing with the Alpha Quorum in some of my relationships. I've talked. We that's part of what we do behind the scenes here is we we text each other frequently every day, pretty much, and we're talking about this is what's going on in my life. Check me where I need to be checked. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And we do this in twelve step too, where you know you'll get with another guy. It could be your sponsor on either side of that relationship. Or somebody who bumps into you. So I'll have guys text me and they'll be like, hey, man, we need to go have tacos. Okay, what's going on? How are you feeling? What's going on in your life? And they'll define a, they'll explain this situation. And then you are being tasked as the advisor to say boldly, I think you're full of shit. I think the direction that you're taking in that situation is going to set you up for failure. I think that you're asking too much. Or I don't think that you're asking enough. I think you're letting yourself be walked over. I think you're letting this other person control and use you and manipulate you. And so I guess what I'm saying with this point is be willing and be uh, humble enough to lay this right. out to someone else and let them speak into that. And A neutral arbitrator, so right. to speak. Yeah, and run this by somebody else. And if they tell you that you're full of crap, then be willing and be humble enough to say, all right, man, you know, I, I don't want to, here's the thing, I don't want to accept what you're saying, right. and I don't need to agree with what you're saying, but I trust what you're saying, and I'm going to be humble enough to submit to your counsel and your judgment and your discernment in this, and I'm going to give that a go. I'm going to change course. I'm going to modify my thing. The way I was looking at it, I'm going to change that because I believe that you're advice or your input will provide for me a better outcome than the way I was going before. Right. Okay. What I wanted to get out of it. So I guess what I'm saying is be open and willing to have some critique happen on your thought process and then be willing to, you know, 
eat some humble pie if you need to. Like step down, like stand down. Um, and make some changes, make some course corrections. And then maybe the last thing is, is when you have healthy boundaries, you're sharing the control. So it's like that bat game where you're trying to get your hand at the top of the bat. You want to be the last person with your hand on top of the bat. That's not healthy. This is, life is not a contest. A relationship is not a zero-sum game. When we live in fear and control and we want to dominate the other person, we want to win, we, we want to have, you know, at the end of the game, I want to have one more point than you on the board. Right. You're not healthy. You need to check yourself. So sharing control and bending and flexing on both sides is what a healthy boundary looks like. And, you know, we can maybe get into some ways to recognize that. And what you do if you're in a relationship with somebody who has unrealistic boundaries and they're unwilling to bend. And that's a thing too. So I guess what we're doing is we're right now we're saying, this is what it looks like when it's healthy. What do you do? We'll get into some skills. What do you do when you are saddled with somebody who is unyielding and unbending and unwilling to share this give and take of control? Brad, I'm going to ask you this question when it comes to, you mentioned before that sometimes you personally feel a lack of assertiveness and that you feel being assertive is necessary uh, in order to set a healthy boundary. Tell me why you think that and tell me how assertiveness might be a positive or a negative in setting a boundary. Yeah, I've really struggled with assertiveness. Um, as I've gotten older, I think I've I've improved quite a bit, but the way I share this with people and what I've learned for myself is that when we are being passive, we're kind of saying, you matter, I don't. When we're being aggressive, you know, we're swearing and yelling and just being disrespectful in our approach to things. We're saying, I matter, you, you don't. don't. Assertiveness says, I matter, you matter. And it's really just, it's just honesty. It's honesty framed in a, in a, in a method of respectful communication. Okay. And so, yeah, I've had a hard time with that. Just probably kind of my people pleasing. I don't want to upset people. I don't want to be the bad guy. Um, I've, I've read the book. I recommend to all men to read the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, because I was that kind of codependent nice guy for a lot of my life. And I've learned to, I've learned to, uh, recognize that I matter too. It, it matters to me that my needs are met and that the things that I deserve or am worthy of, it's okay for me to voice my concerns and, and say when things aren't okay with me. I think for me personally also, um, being assertive because I would probably be what a lot of people would describe as an A personality. I'm going to be vocal. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell you what I feel. And I have been on the wrong end of wanting to have my way and have things be my way because like a lot of humans do on the wrong part, they think their way is the right way. But I've also been on the other end that you mentioned where you go ahead and you want to please someone so you let them have their way and then you fall into the bitter trap. You fall into uh, the false martyr trap. I think I've tried to take a different perspective and my life has worked out a whole lot nicer when I don't, I don't have to be assertive in having my way, but I have been assertive in making sure that a boundary is set when a boundary is important or 
I'll try to understand from a coworker or from a subordinate or from my spouse, is this boundary really important? Once we've established this boundary is important, okay, let's set this together in whatever way it might be. But I will not allow it to not be set because like Mike said earlier, expectations and boundaries are tied together permanently. You can't take those two apart. So if you if a boundary is important, you are going to have expectations whether you like it or not. And so it's much better to be able to set the tone, set the stage to discuss those boundaries. And you might not even establish what that boundary is in that one discussion. You might say, let's agree to at least discuss this and see how we feel about it. But then we'll both sleep on it a little bit. And it might be with a coworker, it might be with a child, and sometimes erring on that side so that you have a chance to think about it. I know sometimes I'm a little too quick to make a decision on something important. I'm definitely one who wants to choose it, get it done, get it out of the way. But I have to respect the fact that my coworker or my subordinate or my spouse, they might not make decisions that way. I have to have empathy that if this is a really important uh, boundary to set, then what we need to do is make sure that you're giving the input where you feel heard and you feel, okay, I can do this. I might not necessarily like it. I don't feel rushed into it. And I don't feel like it's put off too long. But we have the appropriate amount of time and energy spent on that particular boundary that we both decided is important. It just takes a lot of time. One of the things that we always want to do is we want to leave people with some actionable or some some tips. So these are our pro tips for establishing boundaries. Uh, Brad, you've got a couple that you wanted to talk about. I think the most important thing when you're trying to negotiate boundaries is use I statements. That's kind of the therapy way to explain it. But talk about things in terms of your own need and literally say I and maybe not even the word you. You may have to say the word you, but if you're demanding that the other person, you know, you need to stop spending money this way and you need to be doing this and you, those are not, that, that's just not the right way to approach it. And you're just going to create defensiveness in the other person. So what I encourage people to do is to discuss what it is that you are willing to do or not do and not what the other person needs to be doing. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I'm willing to give. Here's what I can contribute. Here's what I'm willing to participate in. This is what this is how I prefer this to be. So that would be my first one. Talk in terms of your own need or your own talk about what it is you are agreeing to do, not what you are, you know, pressuring them to be like. What that other person can expect from you. Right. Okay. The second one is just to don't duck out on the whole on the whole conversation. You know, we have the, we get this fight or flight thing going on and some people want to run away. Maybe the conversation gets tense and there's uh, maybe some heated discussion. If you need to take a break, do that, but then come back to the conversation. Um, I always tell people to scale their level of upset. If you're in an upsetting uh, kind of a confrontational conversation, um, if you're on a scale of one to 10 over about a three or a four on that level of frustration or irritability, just put it off until you can cool down, but don't leave the conversation. Believe that in the end of this thing, there's going to be a solution and you're going to be able to figure it out because you're not going to give up until you, you kind of come to some win-win 
um, mutually agreed upon standard that you're willing to, to go by with the other person. Okay. Mike, what are your tips? So to kind of bounce off what Brad was talking about, um, the one thing that I would, I've got a couple here. One of them is to be as emotional and as, as is warranted by the situation and then to be free with those emotions. So I'm sort of explaining a paradox. Uh, be emotional. However, it might be helpful and beneficial to the entirety of the situation to be as emotional as is warranted by that exact situation. So for example, if you're in a low level discussion about something, t dialing it up to number 10 may not be a great communication tactic. Um, there are but then that said, there are times where level 10 is absolutely the right response. So it develop it, it may it may be necessary for us to sort of and that's and there's all kinds of so emotion. What does that look like? Anger, uh, fear. Um, you might go to tears over things. You might rage. You might be a stewer. You might be one of those person who is an avoider. There's all the 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 again that word emotionalism is like this big catch-all of a lot of different response tactics or response triggers and so again it's just be emotionally mature enough to be able to see what kind of reaction your emotionalism is having in the moment in the mood in the situation and then work as is needed behind the scenes to have that fit the situation okay does that make sense mm-hmm I know that's a bit of a paradox, but these are those difficult things that, again, you know how we talked earlier about the guy who likes to stay at work because it's just super binary. This is easy the to figure out. This is the exact opposite of that. Right. This is a 180 to that. And so some of us have to learn these skills, man. If there's anything that a, a man can learn to do, it's to tap into this, to understand this, to be able to gauge this. Okay, another thing is be willing to put these in writing. And so some of us know that we really can't have a conversation. We can't have a face-to-face. -face. It's going to devolve into maybe name-calling. Some of us are just hot-headed. Okay, again, back to that other topic of like we would do well to gain some emotional maturity in how we interact. Learn how to negotiate. Learn how to argue. Learn how to be a communicator in high-level, high-stress situations so that both parties come away feeling um, like you both win. How do you, how do you have discussions where you both win? These are skills. This is skill set stuff. And some of us have it and some of us don't. And if you just genuinely, honestly feel like you don't have the ability to go to your partner and lay out your thoughts and feelings about a situation, then write it to them. Type it. Send them an email. Do whatever right. it takes. Great suggestion, yes. Communicate in whatever method you feel will get your point across. And so I've received emails from from people in my life who have told me that I am out of bounds and I am out of line and things I do are unacceptable and they've made their point. State your case. You can do that in a written situation that you may not be able to do or remember all those data points. You may have a completely valid argument against someone's behavior and you may have 10 reasons why and you get an argument with them and you'll forget all 10. Right. You'll fixate on one. Freeze up. You'll freeze up. Or what you may do is you have one at top of mind, and it's kind of weak, kind of weak sauce. And that's the only one you hit on. And they can quickly and easily poke holes in that because it is kind of weak sauce. But when you're calm, you think of the nine other ones that are really legit. 
And so if you write those down to them, you can really help somebody see that their bad behavior has a really dramatic effect on the other person. Get your point across. Right. Really, really think about the way that you communicate and the way you defend your boundaries and do that in writing if you need to. Oh, something else too I think is important. Learn how to be gracious. Learn how to be gracious in your defeat. And so what that looks like is you've received an email from somebody and they've really made some valid points and you need to you need to like stand down, right? You're wrong. And 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 they know it and you know it. And so one thing that that is really alpha is to own it and accept it and not be a mopey uh, loser. And again, I if I see the word loser, I don't think I mean it in that way. There's no winners or losers here. But don't be a mopey losers. Don't be mopey in my defeat. And so if I if I air quote lose an argument, again, right. it's not a win or lose thing. But if I if I come away um, feeling burned. Uh, admitting I, your previous understanding wasn't as correct as you currently do. Yeah, I'm that's, wrong. That's the defeat that you're I'm wrong. wrong. Yeah. Yep. So it's hard to find vocabulary for this, but the bottom line is, is like I've wronged another person and I need to own that and move on from that. One thing I need to do is check myself and not be now mopey for three days, right? Okay. And be a victim of that because that's super, super, super uh, manipulative. Right. Because now what I'm telling you is, I'm making you second guess this boundary that is like important to you because I am trying to manipulate a vic- uh, I'm trying to gain some advantage against you and manipulate you through like uh, my victimness, my okay. victimhood, and hoping you won't that you won't get that feedback again. Yeah, that's a punishment. To yeah, keep you from to preserve you in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm hoping to maybe scale it back and that you're going to take some sympathy on me. So I'm going to try to appeal to like that people pleasing aspect of you, and so I'm going to manipulate you. So. Really, this is the so much of the negotiation that happens on boundaries can be tied into manipulation. Both parties can use emotionalism and manipulation to scale up or down based on their own perceived needs, and that is uh, slippery slope stuff. It's all, it's right. all, it's it's games, gamesmanship, and it's unhealthy. And so, really, I think what I'm seeing is like try to be very pragmatic and try to be emotionally mature and see where you're doing it and then recognizing the other person where they're doing it and then cut them some slack. Maybe this is, I'll wrap up with this. When you see it, cut them some slack. Right. Okay. Cause you've done it too. You, it, it's, it, it's both sides. The other person is freaking out. They're losing their mind. They're going crazy. Whatever it is, cut them some slack. Right. And let them have their moment. Like for example, I've had, some moments where, um, you know, you're in a thing with another person and their response does not seem commensurate to the topic, okay? They're th- pulling d- different pieces out of the atmosphere. They're going in all kinds of different directions. They're off topic, whatever. They're red in the face. You have so many things you want to say, but, and, and you want to jump in and interject. Right. Be a ma- Be mature in your argument tactics. Learn how to how to argue with someone, let them have it. It's not my responsibility to, um, in those moments, be right. Let them, and and I I hate to say it, right, wrong, good, bad, win, lose. Let them say their piece. Don't interrupt. Learn how to be mature in an argument. Let them be heard. 
Let them say their thing and listen to it and accept it. If you really want to go back and revisit a few points, maybe they said a few things that are worthy of a rediscussion. Don't do it then. Right. Don't interrupt and say you're wrong there and then tell your piece why. Just shut your hole. <laughs> shut your freaking hole. Let the other person say their piece, get it off their chest, vent, rave, spit, snarl, cry, whatever. Make mental notes. You have right. four things you want to go back and revisit. Okay, Make a mental note. Send them an email back. Or at some other moment when the conversation has been very diffused, three days later, ask them and approach them and say, hey, remember the conversation we had the other day? Of course they do. Is this a good time to go and visit? You know, I got two, I got two right. things I wanted to bring up about that. So you know? shutting your hole doesn't necessarily mean be quiet and ignore and tune out. It means let them talk. Let them say the listen thing. listen to it. Yes, and be mature enough to revisit it you, again, you might have two or three things that really fully need some more conversation. I'm not saying suck it up and eat it and, you know, yeah. just roll over. What I'm saying is let that moment diffuse as it naturally should. Let the storm go away and then do the cleanup later. That's what happens in a natural phenomena. The hurricane comes through. That, that freaker rages. Let it rage. How are you going to stop that? Let it rage. Right. Then later go back and then do some cleanup and make the repairs and rebuild. So these are all skills and tactics. Man, how hard is this? How hard is this? It's the human experience. How sure. hard is this to do? My particular, I guess, tips, I have two. And I think from some of the things that you said, Mike, dovetails into this. When someone starts spewing about a topic that wasn't what you started out arguing about. I think we've all, if we're married or have ever been married, and even if you're not married, this is the case. If it's not going right, it sometimes is because you started out talking about one thing and ended up arguing about something. The next thing you know, you're screaming. How many times have you gone where you said, we just had a fight and I don't know how it got to where it did. For me, one of the things that have worked really well is starting out with the end in mind. And it takes a lot of work, like you mentioned. You have to consciously say, what is the boundary title? And that's what I've tried to work on after you know doing it wrong so many times is what are we actually going to try to define? What, is, what does this look like? Like you mentioned, Brad, social media. So we're, we're defining what is socially acceptable for a husband and a wife or a partner and the other partner to behave with the opposite sex in ways that will make insecurity creep into a relationship and how do you avoid that? So that could be a title. It's emotional and marital security. That's the title of the boundary that we're going to talk about. And then the other thing that has to happen is once you are able to define it together, now you have to be empathetic and ask the other person, what does that boundary look like to you? It's really easy for, for us as humans to say, this is what I want it to look like. This is what I want it to be. And it doesn't mean that you don't deserve your say, but I found it to work more effective with me if I say, what does that boundary look like to you? Because especially in new relationships and especially in second marriages, you're going to come from a completely different set of expectations, completely different experience. 
And so making sure that I understand what does this healthy boundary look like to you? Hear that out. And then make sure that you're able to be heard as well. I think that's two of the most important tips to start from because if it doesn't start from the right spot, it's really difficult to get to the right spot. Okay, that's good stuff. So we've talked about what a a healthy boundary looks like. Now, obviously, we know that in our lives, boundaries get crossed. So what do we do when a boundary gets crossed? Brad, why don't you give me your point on that? Well, first, I just wanted to talk about some examples of what we mean by the boundary being crossed. That could be situations related to money or decisions about finances, um, people's involvement with uh, others. You know, you you're, you you had lunch with your ex or, or there's some kind of, um, I keep, we keep saying boundary, but there's some kind of um, engagement with someone in a way that goes against what you agreed to do or not to do. Uh, deception of any kind, substance abuse, those are the kind of boundaries that I see people crossing either my client or the person they're complaining about. <laughs> all right. So what's a healthy way to deal with it? I guess it all boils down really to good communication. But for me, some of those things would be um, to restate what it is that you were expecting. Hey, I, I was really expecting some honesty as we move forward. I was expecting this thing not to happen again. And it looks like it did. And then explain the effect that that has on you. So I was expecting this to not happen again. Clearly, it has happened again. And I'm upset. I feel hurt. This makes me afraid of the future. So you're just stating your position. And this is assuming, again, that the other person has crossed the boundary and not yourself. Okay. Um, So talk about what status this puts you in. So, Mike, when you cross a boundary with someone, how do you deal with it in a healthy way? Or how would you deal with it in a healthy way? Okay, well, I've got a lot of experience. (laughs) A lot of experience with blowing through boundaries that are wise and reasonable and justifiable. And then I just freaking, you know, uh, aim right for the guardrail and hit the gas. (laughs) So, this is something that I'm pretty skilled at uh, as far as, like, smashing a boundary. Now, I think... If there's anything that I've been able to learn over the years, it is a couple of the, and, and we, I, I talked about these, I mentioned some of these things. So, you know, owning it, man up, own it, alpha up and accept the fact that, that I'm an idiot and that I have deliberately, knowingly, intentionally, lazily, I mean, there's so many reasons why I violate boundaries. Lots and lots and lots. And none of them are good. Like, they're all weak sauce. It's all super lame for me to violate trust and confidence, a boundary um, that's been established by somebody else. And ultimately, it's selfish. It's just selfishness. It's like, you know, at the heart of it, it's, it's narcissism. I want what I want more than you want what you want or that you want for, the, uh, for us. And it's, it's, it's rebellion and it's, um, it's ignorance and it's stupidity and it's narcissism and it's self-serving and those are all super and it's betrayal i'm betraying another person because they've told me and they've clear and they've defined what it is that they need to feel safe and i've betrayed that so there's all kinds of reasons why somebody would have 
all sorts of emotional reactions to having a boundary violated. And I, um, you know, if I'm a man, if I'm going to man up, then I need to own up. I need to own it and accept it and acknowledge it and then not be, you know, a little snivelly, uh, snivelly sort of uh, victim once once we're on the opposite side of that. So there's there's just all kinds of dynamics at play here. So when I violate a boundary, I need to own it. And then I need to extract from the conversation what it is that needs to happen right away. So, you know, hopefully I've picked up on a few of the things that, that the other person has told me they would like to see happen right away. So maybe it's a really complex thing that's happened in, in the violation, but they've they've told me like one or two things that need to happen right away. And I better be listening and I better pick up on that and I better get my crap together and deal with that quickly and efficiently and maturely and responsibly and um, show the person in good faith that that I, I realize... And accept that, but I'm going to do what I can to make it right. Like, I'm going to step up. I'm going to start making this right and repair this damage that's happened. And then maybe to talk, to finish up, I've got a couple of thoughts regarding some of the ways that I see this happen badly in some situations. So I work with a lot of dudes, 12-step dudes who have done a lot of things to like really, really high level, do some damage to their relationship. And a lot of these guys um, now are in a situation where their wives have to deal with them. And so I see really unhealthy situations where a wife has not um, stood her ground yet. And that's, and that's a journey that she's on. But like that could, that, here's an example. You've got a guy who's had an affair and um, the wife um, has through whatever circumstance allowed him to stay in the home, uh, but maybe they sleep in the same bed. And that, that's something that I think a boundary could be really, could, could more clearly be defined. You know, this guy should be, here's, here's the thing too, to speak to that dude. Um, you know, you need to be sleeping downstairs or on the couch, um, trying to creep your way in quick, too quickly. You know, you've done something, maybe it's not at that high of a level, but you've done something that's really, really dramatically hurt your wife and you want things to go back to normal as quickly as possible. You need to cool off. Like you need to understand and accept the fact that you've, you've swung a hammer at your life and at your wife and she's going to bleed for a while. And you need to like, you know, not, I, I don't know what the word would be, not diminish, not shrink, because you still need to figure out how to, how to be strong, you know, how to, how to regain strength. But like... Forgiveness isn't on that dude's timetable, it's on her timetable. Yeah, exactly. There you go. You just said it. And so you need to just let this thing unfold and, and stop putting pressure and applying pressure on the desire to make it all right again. And babe, come on, like, you know, it's been a week, it's been two weeks, it's been a month, it's been a year. Get over it. Yeah, get over it. Why aren't you, like, why aren't I back in the bed or why aren't we back together or whatever it is? Like, all of that, it, 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 narcissism. Right. That's you. Yeah. That's that's what you want. And um, us, for, for a dude, we need to, we need to, we need to, we need to not do that because that is super triggery and that's super... Um, that does not instill any confidence in the other person. They're not going to be trusting us anytime soon. The, as long as we do that and keep that posture, right. we just continue to delay the whole thing. Right. I liked what you said regarding um, when you own it and you make it clear to the other person that you own it, first, you're acknowledging the fact that they had an appropriate expectation 
from your behavior. They had an appropriate expectation of yeah, what, was, where that boundary line yeah, was. Yeah, it was reasonable. You're acknowledging that it was a reasonable And belief. that you messed up. Yeah. So that's definitely helpful. And so when that has happened and a boundary has been crossed, I, I, I think the first thing, if I'm going to speak more to if someone has crossed a boundary with me, um, because I, I know in, in a large portion, it's kind of, I'm feeling that the boundary has been crossed and I want to be able to talk about it without, you know, kind of blowing up because obviously if a boundary has been crossed with someone else, I can't necessarily speak to that, you know, at, at this point. So I, first of all, if I have had a boundary crossed with me, I want to somehow, some way, let that person know if it's my spouse, it can be as simple as the look and the calm and we need to talk about this later. It can be as simple as that. But somehow schedule it. Let the person know that a boundary has been crossed. Now is probably not the right time to hash it out. It's a good one. We're going to schedule that. Um, and make it very clear that it is that boundary that needs to be discussed. And that's the topic. And that gives them the ability to prepare. They may have not crossed a boundary. Or they may have crossed a boundary. And they, don't, they didn't know that they crossed a boundary. Maybe it was something that was expected on both parties. Agreed to on both parties. You know, sometimes we just, we cross a boundary, we don't realize we're doing it. That's one of the human things. So letting that person know, can I talk to you about this? I'm concerned or I have some thoughts. It gives them the time to not get uh, sideswiped. It, need, it gives them the time to not get ambushed. And I think that sometimes we can have a, a legitimate um, boundary that has been crossed. We're legitimate in our and reasonable in our desire to talk about it. But when you just open fire without giving the other person warning that that's what you want to talk about, it doesn't give them the time to kind of prepare how to handle it emotionally as well. Um, let's say, for example, if it's a child and that child has crossed a boundary, I, where I've gone wrong is I've said, I can't believe this. You did this. What are you thinking? And why did, why did you do this? When I've succeeded down towards the fifth kid, you know, finally, after I get through making all the mistakes, I'll say, listen, Josh. We're going to talk about this, and I would like to talk to about this later. Sometimes if they're younger, you need to kind of prepare them, listen, you're not in trouble, or listen, I'm not mad at you, but I have a concern. There's a boundary that has been crossed. So to be able to teach that to a younger child is also really critical because that teaches them a right way to how to handle with their kids or even with their, you know, their associates, their friends or whatever, but letting them know, listen, I have something important, but I want, I'm giving you the respect that I want to talk about it at the right time in the right place so that we can do that. That's just my advice. I like it. It's like giving them something in the subject line, right? They know what this is about. Right. Nobody likes, no one likes being ambushed and called on the carpet and, you know, nobody likes not being prepared to answer the the thing appropriately. When we give them that time, what what you mentioned before was owning it, having the humility. Very few of us, I'm not one, that can automatically, at the drop of a hat, be humble. If you give me a couple of seconds to go, do I really want to fire back an answer or do I want to defend myself or do I want to be humble? We need that time and space to kind of make that conscious choice rather than the mo emotional reaction. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum.